ברמות דף כ"ו עמוד א', Embracing responsibility, אסור לבטל מצוות יבמים. Well, we're deeply into the ideas of, of Yevamot now, beginning the third chapter. Those of you learning the Daf Yomi will have your heads exploding with the countless permutations of relationships between brothers-in-law and sisters-in-law and other parts of the family. And most of these relationships and connections and the things which the Gomorrah is exploring are, are theoretical, but we experience the complexity and death, depth of Yevamot. Yevamot is a Masechta where you can't go deep without getting complex, and you can't appreciate the complexity without going, going deeply. Um, and these theoretical, in many cases, theoretical permutations require the application of principles from the first and second pairing and from other parts of Shas. So they deepen our understandings and clarify our understandings of those principles which apply way beyond the area of Yevamot, and they also deepen our understanding of the workings of of Yibum, particularly at the beginning of the, of the third chapter, the chapter we're beginning to start now, I understand, our understanding of Zika, which we talked about on, on Yud Chet Amud Beit, this idea of what is the relationship between a woman awaiting Yibum and her brother-in-law. Is there some relationship other than brother-in-law and sister-in-law? Is she somewhat betrothed to him or, or is she just waiting for something to happen, either Yibum or Chalitza? Uh, and the second idea that we're going to explore is the idea of Asul Levatel Mitzvat Yibum. We're not allowed to do anything that would circumvent the mitzvah of Yibum and Chalitza altogether. Bear in mind, Yibum and Chalitza are two sides of the same coin. They're packaged as one mitzvah. Uh, although they're separate mitzvahs, they're packaged together. You do either Yibum or Chalitza. Either way, you're fulfilling the, the, the mitzvah of Yibum and Chalitza with the... Um, Uh, the, the widow of, of, one's, of, of one's deceased brother who died with our children. Um, so it, it, looking at that idea of Asul of Atel Mitzvat Yivamim, Al-Gemorah on Dav Chavav uses it to explain in the Mishnah why two sisters who are the widows of two childless brothers, so two sisters married two brothers, those two brothers have another two brothers, so they're four brothers altogether, two of whom married two sisters. The two brothers who married the two sisters passed away without children. Those two sisters can neither do Yibum or Chalitza with any of the surviving brothers-in-law, even if we hold like Rav Yehuda back on Daf 18b that there's no Zikah, that there's no tight relationship between the Shomeret Yabam, the woman waiting for Yibum, and the brother-in-law. Nevertheless, uh, there is the problem of Asul of Atel Mitzvat Yivamim. And... That, that you can't circumvent the mitzvah of Yibam, and we'll, we'll see how that works in the Mishnah. But for now, just that, that, that's what the Gemara does. And that's whether or not we believe that our Mishnah is built on the principle of Asul Levatel Mitzvah Yivamin. Uh, our, mitzvah could be our Mishnah could be interpreted two different ways, either as being built on the assumption that there is Zikah, like Rav Yehuda holds, Or even if there isn't zikah, there's this second principle of asul levatel mitzvah yivamim, not to circumvent the mitzvah yivamim. Whether or not the Mishnah uses that principle to underpin it, the principle is still a valid one. And um, this explains why the Yerushalmi in Perik Yud Aleph Halacha Dalad, um, chapter 11.4 of Yevamot, introduces what seems to be to it an innovative idea that mutar adam lisa et eshet ben achiv. Based on a Mishnah that we'll come to on, on Tzadi Teta Amud Aleph, the Yerushalmi concludes that it is permitted to, for a man to marry the wife of his nephew. Um, 
We're not talking about Yibum yet, just in regular marriage. A man wants to worry, marry the wife of his nephew. His nephew has passed away and he would like to marry his nephew's wife. The Yerushalmi says this is permitted. Um, and Tosfot in Algamar and Daf Tzaditet Amud Aleph explores, why is the Yerushalmi kind of surprised about that? Why is, why is that such a chidush? A man's entitled to, to marry, and not only entitled, as we'll learn further on, it's a, it's a, it's a mitzvah for a man to marry his niece. Uh, why should he not be able to marry the wife of his nephew uh, if the nephew has passed away? Explains Tosfot there on Sadi Tetamonadav, because I might have thought that by doing so, he's circumventing Yibum. He's making Yibum impossible. Because imagine if a man marries his nephew's wife, his nephew's widow, and later the man himself dies before having children. Who becomes the Yabam of this widow? The man's brother, but the man's brother is her father. So Yibum and Chalitza wouldn't apply to her, and that way this marriage would not have the potential for Yibum or Chalitza. We would be circumventing the very possibility of Yibum and Chalitza in this situation. And Tosfa says, I might have thought that wouldn't work for that reason, because we're not allowed to circumvent the mitzvah of Yibum and Chalitza. And, and the Rishami comes to say, we're not concerned about that in this case. The Oruch Lener asks an important question and makes an important point of clarification based on Algemora in Kavav. Remember the Oruch Lener is the 19th century Rabbi Yaakov Etlinger from, from Germany and I uh, linked uh, back in, in on Tezayan, I think it was, I linked uh, you to the Maos Su that he composed. He sees his soul seemed to have been very connected with, with Hanukkah. He called his work the Aruch Lener, setting out the candles. He wrote eight of them in his lifetime on eight different Masechtas. And he died on the first night of, of Hanukkah. And Abchaim Yosef Zonenfeld, uh, the Rav in Yerushalayim, used to um, keep his Yotzat on the first day of Hanukkah and, and, and make that point. Anyway, it's the Aruch Lener, also one of the beginnings of of. Um, and I wouldn't call it modern orthodoxy at all. I don't like to use that term at all because it's so vague as to what it means. It's, he was one of the first Rabbonim in Germany, uh, followed later on by Rabbi Shimshon of Hirsch, who was influenced deeply by him, who had a, a secular education um, and was modern in that sense, so a modern Torah authority, not a modern orthodox person, a modern Torah authority. And we've also talked about how many of the Rishonim were modern Torah authorities. They were astronomers and they were physicians and they were scientists and, and they were poets. So if that's what we consider modernity to be well-educated beyond uh, the Arba Amot Shel Halacha, beyond the, uh, the specific area of, of formal Torah, then already the Rishonim, the early medieval authorities, were amazingly modern. But in terms of modern rabbinics, uh, the Oruch Laner was the father of, of modern rabbinics, in, in a sense. Um, and his question is, so we see in the Gemara further on, on that we're not worried about this principle of Asul of Atel Mitzvah Yevamim, of, of circumventing Yibum. Yet in our Gemara, we see this is an issue, and we, and we are concerned about it. And he answers with the distinction between circumventing a mitzvah which has not yet become an obligation. In other words, you're circumventing it ever becoming an obligation as opposed to doing so after the obligation has already come into existence and now you circumvent the need to fulfill that obligation. So the Yerushalmi, he says, is talking about circumventing a potential for a Yibum situation in the event that the woman's uncle, 
who's now her husband, dies childless. But at this time, he hasn't died. When he marries this, this niece of hers or the wife of his nephew, um, he hasn't died. And, and she is not, uh, there's no mitzvah of Yibam yet. It's just we're worried about something in the future. And, and the Gemara there, the Yushami says, we don't have to do so. We don't have to worry because at the point he marries her, this has not happened. Al Gemara is referring to a situation where the mitzvah of Yibum already applies to both surviving brothers. The two brothers have died. Their wives, who are sisters, uh, are immediately connected to, in some way, at least for the chi of Yibum, to the surviving brothers-in-law. And by one of those brothers acting on the mitzvah of Yibum, the other sister is at risk if her Yabam dies before the Yibum. The other brother-in-law dies before he does Yibum with her. She's at risk of never fulfilling the mitzvah of Yibum or Chalitza because she's now too closely related to her Yabam and cannot do Yibum with him and cannot do Chalitza with him. Um, and that would be that, that would mean that that mitzvah is never done. So our case here, explains Aruch Manoh, is the obligation has already come into existence. The circumvention is about the fulfillment of that obligation which has already come into existence. Whereas the Rishalmi's case is to circumvent an obligation which is not yet coming into existence. And there are two matmonim principles here to notice. Firstly, note how realistically Chazal live with the possibility of death. Uh, it's, it's one of the kindnesses of Hashem, I suppose, that we don't live with it in front of our eyes all the time. Uh, and, and we live as if, as if we're going to live forever. Uh, but perhaps the only thing that is certain is death. Everything else is, is a statistical probability, but, but death is the one thing that is a certainty. The only thing that we don't know is the moment of death. Um, and whether that moment is going to occur at this particular time in the Yibun process, that there's a very small statistical chance for. So we've got an interesting situation. The event is for certain. The timing is unknown. And therefore, the statistical chance of it being at any given moment is very small. And yet, because the risk is so high, Again, in the eyes of Chazal, the risk of circumventing a mitzvah is so, is so high, something that we don't want to do, that we live with this and, and take it into consideration, not to do something that could, could, in the event of a death, at a particular moment, could result in this mitzvah not being fulfilled. Uh, we, we rather don't get into that situation. Just interesting how Chazal live with the reality of, of death, even though we, we like to push it off and imagine it's never going to happen. Um, furthermore, think about uh, the idea of avoiding an obligation, how often we avoid washing and benching for a meal, and we have mizanot bread, or we don't have bread at all so that we won't have to wash and bench. Washing and benching is a, is a mitzvah, it's an opportunity. Why would we want to circumvent it? Now, based on the aruch l'ner, um, there's no halachic issue with circumventing it. If you don't wa wash and, and have bread at a meal, then if you don't have bread at a meal, you don't wash and you don't bench. Uh, there's no halachic problem with it, but we are still, we are still of, uh, circumventing what could be a, a, a mitzvah. But where we do have the issue is selling chametz, so as not to fulfill the mitzvah of destroying chametz. We're going to be doing that very soon, Erev Pesach. We're going to sell our chametz, and then by selling our chametz, we don't have to destroy it. Surely this is circumventing a mitzvah which has already come into existence at the time that the Mechira happens. The Mechira happens on the day before Pesach. The Beitin sells our, our, our chametz. Although you've given 
your, your Rav, the authority to do so, you haven't actually done the sale until the morning before Pesach, the 14th of Nisan. That's when the Beitin actually sells it. By that time, there's already an obligation to destroy Chametz. And we can already be Mekayim, the mitzvah of Biur Chametz. And instead, we've sold our Chametz and circumvented the need to do so. That is why we always keep behind a, a little bit of chametz, which we do bidikat chametz with. We make sure we find some, some pieces of, of chametz that we've put aside for, for the purposes of bidikat chametz. And we are mekayim, the mitzvah of beer. We fulfill that mitzvah of destroying the chametz, even though we've sold most of the chametz that we have or finished eating it. Nevertheless, we do keep some specifically so as to fulfill that mitzvah and not to be circumventing uh, the mitzvah, a concept that we're introduced to over here. Um, and in life generally, it's bad enough to avoid responsibility falling on one, just to not be around and make sure one doesn't get into the responsibility. Um, because in responsibility, there is growth and there is privilege. Uh, one can say, I don't want this responsibility, I don't want to take this on. Uh, and one understands that, but there is so much growth and, and so much privilege and so, and so much um, spiritual and human development in responsibility. It's our responsibilities that expand us. It's our responsibilities that stretch us. By observing life, we don't grow. Um, but by being passengers in life, we don't grow. We grow by the responsibilities we take. But even worse than shirking responsibilities, avoiding responsibilities that haven't yet fallen on us, is shirking responsibilities that have already fallen on us. And finding sometimes legal ways, halakhic ways, to avoid a moral obligation. That's this idea of being careful on the, the principle of asur levatel mitzvat yivamim. Asur, it's an issue. We don't do that. So instead of finding ways to avoid moral obligations, rather stride towards responsibilities and embrace them with courage. Because in doing so, the middah of chesed, of being kind to someone in the fulfillment of your responsibilities towards them, and the middah of gvura, having the courage to take on a responsibility and live it, intersect to give birth to that magnificent midah, that magnificent characteristic of the symphony created by Chesed and Vura, the symphony called Tiferet. Mm-hmm.